No one likes to hear the words, I told you so. Especially my wife. Now, Kathy Adams is a wonderful person. A wonderful person indeed. But she has one bad habit. She lets the fuel in her car get perilously close to empty. And I have warned this woman. In fact, some time ago, it finally happened. She ran out of gas. Her van puttered to a stop. But guess what? I can't believe it. She ran out of Petro right next door to a gas station. I can't believe it. In his grace, the Lord bailed out my wife. Well, at first, she didn't tell me what had happened. Later, her conscience began to bother her, and so she fessed up. Kathy said she ran out of gas, but then she added, If I'd really just needed somebody's help, I had already decided that I wasn't going to call you. I was going to call Pastor James at the church and get him to pick me up. So she told me. And why would she say such a thing? Because nobody likes to hear those dreaded four words. Nobody likes to hear them. Those words, I told you so. Well, in Acts chapter 27, the Apostle Paul has an opportunity to say, I told you so. He's going to say it to a crew of a Roman merchant ship. You see, he's on his way to Rome. He's enjoying a Mediterranean cruise, courtesy of the Roman Empire. He's been placed in the custody of a centurion named Julius. They boarded a Roman boat in Sidon, and they sailed past the island of Cyprus to the port of Myra on the southern coast of Asia Minor. Then from Myra, they changed ships, and they sailed westward to the island of Crete into the port city of Fair Havens. You need to realize that after mid-September, sailing on the Mediterranean is dangerous. After mid-November, it's prohibited. We know that the events of Acts chapter 27 occur after the Jewish feast of Yom Kippur, which would place it in mid-October. Thus, the sailing conditions were definitely not favorable. Well, the crew knew that they would have to spend the winter on the island of Crete, but the harbor of Fair Havens was open to western winds, and it afforded limited protection. Besides, Fair Havens was a tiny town with not much to do there. I mean, it would make for a boring layover for a bunch of sailors. These men wanted some entertainment, and so they decided to sail 45 miles to the Cretan port of Phoenix. There was stuff to do in Phoenix. I mean, Phoenix, you can check out a son's basketball game if you're in Phoenix. But before they make their decision, Paul warns them, sail and you'll bail, you'll fail, you'll wail. Well, those aren't the words he used, but that was in essence what he was saying. Paul was a seasoned traveler, and he knew that they were about to make a terrible mistake. The problem, though, is that no one listened to Paul. The navigator and the captain... Even the centurion all refused to take heed to Paul's warnings, and the ship set sail for the 45-mile trip to Phoenix. And sure enough, just as Paul had warned, the voyage was a disaster. 
A tempestuous headwind arose. Hurricane force gales, enormous swells pounded this ship. The winds drove the boat out to sea. And what was supposed to be a 45-mile hop ended up a 645-mile detour. I mean, they planned on less than a day to reach Phoenix. It was two weeks later before they even saw land again. This decision was a colossal mistake. The 276 passengers and crew were all placed in harm's way. And to make matters worse, about halfway through the ordeal, Paul pops up on deck and guess what he says? You got it. I told you so. We pick up the account of the voyage in Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 20. <clears throat> now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. <laughs> in other words, I told you so. He continues in verse 22. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, here's the summation of his speech. Men, I've got some good news, and i got some bad news. The bad news is, is that the ship will sink. The good news is that you sailors will swim. Land will be found, but the boat will run aground. The boat will break up, but cheer up, because no lives will be lost. We'll all make it safely. Well, it was a thick night. Through the rain, and through the wind, and through the waves, and through the fog and the dark, no one could see the approaching shoreline. The crew heard the breaker slapping against the shore, and so they started measuring the depth of the water. They knew they were getting closer. They were worried about crashing into the rocks and busting up the boat. They were still too far out to swim. They didn't want to drown in the surf. In fact, verse 29 actually records their thoughts for us. It says, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Do you hear the desperation in that? I mean, this was a desperate moment. All the experienced crew could do was drop anchor and pray for daylight. Actually, it was at this point that a few of the sailors tried to launch a skiff. You know, the little boat that the bigger ship would carry on its side. Well, these sailors, they were scared. They no longer trusted the captain and the helmsman. It was time to abandon ship, every man for himself. But when Paul saw these seamen launching that little boat, he shouts out in verse 31, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Well, this time the sailors believed Paul. 
They cut the cords that were holding the lifeboat to the ship. They ditched it in the ocean. In the end, Paul's words proved prophetic. The next day at sunrise, the crew hoisted the sails and they headed straight for the shore. They were hoping to run the ship right up onto the beach. Instead, they hit a sandbar. The bow stuck in the sand while the surf ripped out the stern. Broken boards and floating timbers filled the water. Some of the sailors, they were able to swim safely to shore, but most of the men struggled in the current. And as it turned out, the busted up planks from the ship served as life rafts for the crew. All 276 passengers on board made it safely to shore, many of them on the buoyant timbers. Paul's words, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved, were literally fulfilled. Once again, Paul could have said, I told you so. But this time, everyone was just glad that they had heeded his advice. Well, like so many biblical narratives, this story teaches us an underlying lesson. There was an actual shipwreck, but this account also illustrates your and mine, our spiritual trek. For life is like a voyage. You know, we even use nautical terms to describe how we're doing. Oh, it's smooth sailing. Or boy, oh boy, it's sink or swim for me. When someone dies, we even say they made it to the other shore. In many ways, life is like a ship on the sea. There are days when all is well. The sky is clear. The breeze is gentle. The waters are calm. But then there are times when the sea gets rough. The night and the storm combine to create panic and strike fear in the heart of the sailors. We try to reach land, but our life hits the sandbar of suffering. Our plans crumble in the surf. Hope breaks apart. And in those moments, our tendency is the same as that of these misguided mariners. The impulse is to want to abandon ship, jump out of the boat, every man for himself. We try to launch out in the lifeboat and row on our own. We lower the sails and stop waiting on the wind and start paddling in our own energy. Hey, when you go whitewater rafting, how many of you have ever been whitewater rafting? bunch of you. Well, when you go whitewater rafting, the guides have a golden rule. The guiding principle among river rafters is simple. No matter how much trouble you're in, no matter how precarious your situation, 99.9% of the time you stand a better chance of survival by staying in the raft than you do by getting out of the raft. You see, whitewater is tricky. You can get twisted in those rapids and you can get stuck on a rock. Your boat starts taking on water and you think it's time to abandon ship. But it's not. It's definitely not. Despite what you might think, you are still better off in the boat than out of the boat. You see, in the boat, at least you're protected by some very durable rubber. Whereas in the water, you become prey to hydraulics and rocks and boulders and walls and whirlpools. If you're in the water, even the boat itself, now weighed down with tons of water, becomes your enemy. 
I mean, a heavy boat can sandwich you in between the tube and the stone wall. And the golden rule for whitewater rafters is the same for us Christians. We are always safer inside the boat of God's will. Hey, when the winds kick up and the waves churn, our tendency is to panic. We let fear override our faith. We jump out of God's will and we take matters into our own hands. We rely on our own efforts. We need to realize that we are still safer in the boat than we are in the water. When you step out of the will of God and jump into the swirling water of circumstance, suddenly you become prey to rocks of evil and whirlpools of sin. Even the boat itself becomes your enemy. Get in the way of God's purposes and plans, and you're the one that's going to get crushed. Notice, God didn't promise to calm Paul's storm. Nor did he promise to keep his ship intact. But God did promise that no one's life would be lost if everyone stayed in the ship. You see, there was safety. There was life in the boat. Paul's words for these panicky pie-pies are God's word to you and me today. Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. You see, it's not enough just for us to be in Christ We must remain in Christ. We need to continue in our faith. When the night and storm combine to cause panic in your life, you'll make it, friend, only if you stay in the boat. Paul's words in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 23, they're for you and me. Paul writes, You who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his death to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. In other words, you got to stay in the boat. God's blessings come not just to people who come to Christ and have faith, but to those who abide in Christ And continue in their faith. You see, faith needs to persevere. Life is like a postage stamp. It's been said, consider the stamp. Its usefulness consists in the ability to stick to one thing until it gets there. Well, Paul's words to the crew are God's word to us concerning his will. The place God has you isn't always easy. God's will for your life isn't necessarily convenient. I mean, even the center of his will isn't guaranteed to be calm waters. Storms of testing can pound our lives. Hey, perhaps this morning you're in a marriage that seems to be breaking apart. Or maybe you've got a job that's really gotten demanding. Or maybe you're taking a class at school, and quite frankly, it's more than you can handle. Or maybe you're dealing with a rebellious child. You're in over your head in troubled waters, and it's becoming clear that there is a shipwreck in my future. In fact, you're not sure that you can remain in your situation one more second. You're ready to bail, man. You want to jump ship and run and abandon your responsibilities. But wait! You need to listen again to Paul, for he's speaking to you. Unless you stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. God will bring you through the crisis. 
He is faithful. He will work a miracle in your situation and keep you safe from harm. But it's up to you to trust in Him. See, you have to trust Him enough to stay put. There's life. There's safety in the boat. But it's up to us to resist the temptation to jump ship. I once worked a job that required some Friday night overtime. We were all young guys. We had things to do, places to go, people to see on Friday night. Everyone hated Friday OT, but especially Dave. You see, around noon on Fridays, Dave would take inventory of the situation. And if it looked like we were going to get stuck there for the Friday night, and we weren't going to finish up on time, he'd start pushing. I mean, he'd take it all on his shoulders. He'd crank it up. He'd start working like a Trojan. And all afternoon, he'd be chanting, I's gots to go. I's gots to go. I's gots to go. Some of us are plagued by that same impatience. Hey, we can't stand it when the will of God proves inconvenient. We get rankled by the thought that God might have us in an unpleasant situation for a purpose. And we sing the same refrain. I's gots to go. You see, it's easier to bail out on a set of circumstances than it is to buck up. It's easier to jump ship than it is to hang tough. Ellen Goodman, columnist for the Boston Globe, she refers to America as, I quote, a nation of leavers. She points out how that we left the old world to immigrate to America. Then later in our history, we left the eastern seaboard to move south and west. Goodman writes, now since there's no place else to go, we're leaving ourselves. What she means by that is that we're bailing out on relationships and responsibilities and commitments. That's why in 2010, 43% of first marriages ended in divorce. That's up from 16% 50 years ago in 1960. You see, when things get tough at work, or, or when there's pressure at home, or when school is no longer fun, or when I run into a problem with the church that I'm attending, the tendency for us is to sing, I's gots to go, I's gots to go. But no, you don't. You can choose to stay put, to remain with the ship, you can choose to trust Christ and stay in the place where he has called you. You see, this was Paul's advice to the Corinthians. The new believers there figured that it would be easier to live this Christian life by opting for less cumbersome circumstances. I mean, there were those who had debts who wanted to be free of those debts. There were married folks who thought life would be easier if they were single. There were single folks that thought the same about being married. There were Jews who wanted to be Gentiles and Gentiles who wanted to act like Jews. Hey, why is it that we always think the grass is greener on the other side? Paul writes to these Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 24, and he tells them, Let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. In other words, remain in that place where God has put you. Stay in the boat of God's will. It'll take courage. Yes, you bet. It'll take faith. You'll have to trust the Lord with all your heart. But ultimately, it'll be worth it. Lord Wellington, 
was the British general who at the Battle of Waterloo won the victory over Napoleon. After his triumph, he explained the key to his army's victory. He said, our men were not braver than the enemy. They were brave five minutes longer. Realize perseverance is a component of faith. True faith hangs on. It has that element of a stick to itness. You see, as Christians, we are not scaling a rope to heaven. We're not climbing our way to heaven. We're holding on to a rope that's being hoisted upwards by God. It's not for us to climb that rope, but it is our responsibility to hang on to that rope as God pulls us upwards. We should never lose our grip on God's grace. We need to hold fast. We need to maintain a tight grip on God's promises. Hey, we need to grasp on to God's love for us and squeeze tight His blessings and never let them go. No matter how dark the night, no matter how tough and rough the sea, you need to stand firm in your faith. Christian author Lyle Rader, he makes a profound statement. He says, faith grows only in the dark. You've got to trust God where you can't trace Him. That's faith. You just take Him at His word, believe Him, and grip the nail-scarred hand a little tighter. And faith grows. You see, this is the reason God allows the storm. You can't appreciate the anchor until you felt the stress of the storm. Our love for God deepens when we stay in the boat and when we watch God come through. Grace gets amplified. Faith is fortified. Commitment is solidified. God gets glorified only from the deck of the ship. This morning, if you're not singing God's praise... If you're not giving personal testimony to God's faithfulness in your life, if you lack examples from your own experience of how God has the power to deliver, I'll tell you why. This is what it says to me. It means that you've been too quick to jump ship. That's what's been going on in your life. You haven't stayed in the boat long enough for God to work a miracle for you. I've heard it said, pray for a faith that won't shrink when washed in the waters of affliction. We need a pre-shrunk faith. A faith that keeps its shape even in turbulent waters. A faith that can float. A faith that can be tested and not draw up or shrink back. You see, the greatest danger we face is not Satan entering in and snatching our blessings from us. It's us giving them up and letting them go. In turning loose of our grip. Hebrews 10 verse 23 instructs us along these lines. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. we got to hold fast. You know, ironically, those who stayed with the ship, they watched the vessel crumble out from under them. But as they were flailing away in the surf, chunks of the damaged schooner became life vests for the crew members. And this is how God works in our lives. The outcome of yesterday's trial, the lesson that we learned, or the pain that was overcome, or the wound that was healed, now becomes the flotation device that God uses to keep my head above the water in my current trial. You see, our faith grows from storm to storm. Who would have thunk it? 
Yesterday's wreckage is what becomes today's salvation. It gives us fresh hope. You see, stay in the ship. Hold fast to God. If you remain in that relationship or stay on that job or refuse to move from that neighborhood or hold on to the responsibility that God has given you, then you give God the opportunity to come and redeem your sorrow and reinvest your suffering. In Psalm 56, verse 8, David tells the Lord, You numbered my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? In other words, God bottles up our tears. Hey, God is the great bottler, not Coca-Cola. God collects every teardrop that rolls down our cheeks. And then I believe he uses those tears to water our tomorrows. You see, the fruit that sprouts up in the future is being watered by the sorrows of today. God redeems only if we stay in the boat. Board your own boat. Launch out on your own. Start paddling in your own efforts. Do it your own way. And you'll have nothing to hold on to. You'll drown. That's why you've got to stay in the boat. Isaiah 61 verse 3 tells us that one day God will trade us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. If we persevere in faith, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but one day, God will swap us His sweetness for our bitterness. People will tell you that you're wasting time in the boat. Friends will say that you need to jump ship while you can. They'll tell you you're wasting your life waiting on God. It's time you just branched out on your own and pursued your own path. Well, don't listen to them. Instead, cut the lifeboats. Ditch your other options. Burn your bridges. Hey, plot no other alternative. Make no other plan. Make up your mind that you won't abandon ship even if it looks like a better offer comes along. Real faith is banking it all on God's word and God's will. Remember, it's always safer in the ship than it is in the water. Continue in your faith. Hold fast to your confession. Even when the surf churns and the boat breaks up, God will see to it that you make it to shore. You see, no life is immune to brokenness. We're all humbled by life and by God at times. God works over and over in us through the tools of death and resurrection. We die to our selfish tendencies. We honor our commitments and we remain faithful to the people and the purposes that God has for us. We stay in the place He's put us and we resist the urge to abandon ship. And then, even if the ship crumbles out from under us, God is faithful to provide us a way out. He opens a new door. He does a new work. He gets us safely to shore. Even if the ship gets broken to pieces, God will take what's left and He'll birth something new. He'll transform it into saving grace. He redeems even the shipwrecked pieces of our life for our good and for His glory. David cries out in Psalm 19 verse 14, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God is a redeemer. He is a restorer. 
He specializes in transforming crosses into crowns and defeats into victories and lumps of clay into beautiful pottery and shipwrecks into lessons learned. He even transforms floating timbers into life jackets. Just stay in the boat. Around the turn of the 20th century, the heavyweight boxing champion of the world was a man by the name of Gentleman Jim Corbett. Well, Gentleman Jim, he made a comment to boxers, but I think it also applies to Christians. This is what he said. Fight one more round. When your feet are so tired that you have to shuffle back to the center of the ring, fight one more round. When your arms are so tired that you can hardly lift your hands to guard your face, fight one more round. When your nose is bleeding and your eyes are black and you're so tired that you wish your opponent would just crack you on the jaw and put you to sleep, fight one more round. Remembering that the man who fights one more round is the man who never gets whipped. Well, hey, never give up on God. Never abandon His will. Don't you bail out on Christ. Don't launch out or branch out on your own. If you do, you're going to drown Fight one more round. Keep clutching on to God's grace. He will prove his faithfulness if you stay in the boat. Father, thank you for your word today, for your love for us. Lord, I pray that we could take your word and hide it in our hearts so that we wouldn't sin against you. Lord, we, we're, we're frail. We're we're so fearful at times, Lord. We, we get so itchy and so shaky in our faith. Little storms rise up and, and we get ready to jump ship or we start looking for other options. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for our, our shallow faith, our weak baby faith. Lord, help us to rise up today and and show some real faith. Stay in that uncomfortable position. Remain loyal to our commitments. Remember our vows. Help us, Lord, to stay in the boat, to stay put in the place where you have us, where you've called us. And Lord, from the deck of the ship, we'll be able to see miracle after miracle. We'll see you deliver. We'll see you work. We'll see you even transform broken boards into life rafts. Lord, you'll work. We trust you. Lord, I just pray that we'll stay in the boat. We love you so much, Lord, and we ask for your blessing this morning. Please come and work in our hearts as we meditate on these things. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.